Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Little Dudes Insect Academy podcast. I am so excited to be here with you all um, talking with my friend Carl. Um, So if you um, go ahead and introduce yourself for us, Carl, Um, I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, uh, my name is Carl, Carl Gelman. Uh, I'm a, a professor at Utah Valley University, and so um, I have a PhD in entomology, uh, but I work in the biology department. I specifically work on things like genomes and bioinformatics, and so how we use computers to analyze biological data. But how I use insects is I do a lot of things from kind of the genetic aspect of things, specifically in how their genomes change over time, uh, specifically from the aspect of how much DNA things have. Mm. So many of you might know that we are made up of DNA, these little letters that make up our genome, kind of the rule book for how we develop. There are A, T, Cs, and Gs. And so we have many of these A, T, Cs, and Gs. Humans uh, have approximately 3.2 billion of these letters Mm -hmm. that make up their genome. We consider ourselves to be pretty complex. And, you know, that makes sense. We look at the amount of DNA we have. We have about 20,000 genes in there that code for proteins kind of the things that have jobs in our cells. And we have, you know, things like the model fruit fly, Drosophila melanogaster, actually has around 175 million of these letters, Mm -hmm. which is far fewer than the human, right? Mm -hmm. So many people tended to think that uh, having less DNA meant you were less complex, right? Or having more DNA means more complexity. But if we really dig into the amounts of DNA things have, there's a crazy amount of variation that exists. Uh, For example... There are grasshoppers that have six times the amount of DNA a human does. Mm-hmm. So there are some grasshoppers with 18 billion of those ATCs and Gs. Yeah. Uh, and then even like the American cockroach has the same amount of DNA as a human does at around 3.2 billion. Wow. So what I do is I gather in information about how much DNA all these organisms have. And then I build their kind of evolutionary tree, the family tree of species. Mm-hmm. And I try to identify kind of, how these sizes and genomes are changing and uh, what things they might be related to. So I tend to specialize in insect genomes. And so I look at hundreds and hundreds of species of things like flies or beetles or butterflies and kind of see what might be causing them to kind of expand or contract the amount of DNA that they have. Wow. Yeah. Um, We'll get into that a little bit more in a minute, but yeah, yeah, I saw, I was actually reading this thing recently about, um, it was recently discovered that the organism with the most genomes is the axolotl. Is that right? Yeah, it's a really big genome. Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, there's a lot of really bizarre things out there uh, in terms of genomes. And things like the axolotl are just these crazy exceptions to all the rules that we know. Yeah. Um, that's what I find all the time in biology. The, the students that I teach get kind of frustrated when they discover that all these rules they yeah. learn in intro biology are thrown out the window when you start yeah. talking about things like axolotls or plants for yeah. example and their rules plants just their rules just not do whatever laws, they want to right? yeah yeah it's all all exceptions yeah it's crazy stuff wow yeah okay um yeah. let's yeah let's so let's um talk about a little bit more about you really quick and then let's and then we'll get back into that but um let's yeah. start with your schooling uh where did you go for your school and um what were some of the things you worked on throughout that journey yeah, so uh, I actually grew up in South Dakota. Okay. Um, very cold state, not a whole lot of people. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to, uh, that's where I went to high school. And then I actually went to my undergraduate in South Dakota. I went to a really small school called Augustana. Okay. It's now Augustana University. It was Augustana College when I went. So they got university status a couple years after I graduated back in uh, 2013. Cool. So I have a degree in biology, a Bachelor of Arts in biology. So I actually have a liberal arts degree for my undergraduate, mm-hmm. uh, which was great. It allowed me to pursue some of my other interests as well. Things like music and classical studies, mythology as, as well as science. Cool. Uh, but because it was so small, the school was around 1700 students. When I went, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of options for kind of specialty of majors. Mm. Uh, so in the kind of what we consider to be the traditional sciences, you had like physics, chemistry, mm-hmm. biology, and biochemistry yeah and so i had never even taken an entomology class at that point Mm -hmm. Uh, the only time that had been offered when i was there it conflicted with another course that i took so i I actually didn't consider myself an entomologist for quite a long time okay Uh, but when i was doing uh when i was working there i I discovered i really wanted to deal with evolutionary biology Mm -hmm. so i tried to take my courses to kind of go along those tracks. And of course, insects are an amazing model for evolution and biodiversity. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I took opportunities as I had them. I did a research experience with one of my uh, faculty members there that was biomedical. So I did stuff in a lab dealing with human blood. Nice. But one of the uh, professors I had encouraged me to apply to what the NSF refers to as REUs or research experiences for undergraduates. Okay. The NSF provides a bunch of money to allow for undergraduate students to get paid research experiences over the summer at different universities. Mm-hmm. And so if you they tend to focus on uh, students uh, that are from underrepresented groups or from schools that might not prioritize research as much and might focus more on the teaching aspect of things. So I applied to a bunch of those and ended up getting into one thing was called the Excite REU, uh, which was entomology it was at texas a&m university in their entomology department Mm -hmm. and so i spent 10 weeks the summer of 2012 uh just getting fully immersed in doing research i mean it was 40 hours a week they paid uh, for our housing stipends our travel to get there they gave me an income i think i got paid around five thousand dollars or so you know 10 years ago yeah uh to just to do research and learn cool things and uh, here's where I got to figure out what entomologists really were all about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd never been around so many people that were hardcore bugs. Right. And it's it's really infectious, honestly. Uh, and this is actually where I met my PhD advisor. He was my REU mentor, my research experience mentor. Mm-hmm. And so he was incredible uh, as a mentor. And so I went back, finished up my last year in my biology program, and I applied for graduate schools. And decided I wanted to go to Texas A&M and their entomology program to work with uh, this PhD advisor. Um, I Again, more of an evolutionary biologist, but he was in the entomology department. He's actually a geneticist who happened to be in the entomology department. Okay. And so I got to take a bunch of entomology-centric courses when I got in. I got a fellowship that allowed me to kind of cover tuition and payment. Took a bunch of courses, learned how to teach entomology labs. Nice. And ended up doing my PhD there. Uh, and then a couple of postdocs dealing with bugs afterwards, some of those research positions after I got my PhD. Um, so I spent probably, I guess it was about eight years in College Station, Texas, nice. dealing with bugs. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, really cool. So Texas A&M, um, what were some of those things that you 
work done while you were there um, for your doctorate? Yeah. So um, kind of what I mentioned earlier, I mm -hmm. study a lot of genome evolution. Yeah. And so my PhD advisor is a population geneticist um, and he uh, kind of the world authority in estimating the amount of DNA bugs have. Oh, really? And so uh, I did, you know, it results in so many fun collaborations. We get to work with so many people around the world who mm -hmm. want to sequence their genome mm -hmm. for their bug of interest, but they need to know how much DNA it has. So they can figure out like how much money are they spending? Did they put it together right? Mm. Right. Cause they, how we sequence genomes is we take the genome and break it up into a lot of little pieces and then trying to piece together how they overlap to put it together. Okay. It's kind of like putting together a crazy puzzle that we have no idea how big it is. Yeah. Uh, and so we tell them how big it is. So they kind of have an idea of how good they did at putting it together. Huh. So I got to work with a lot of cool people um, kind of on side projects, whether it be, um, there's some seed beetles, fireflies, um, a little bit of stuff in forensic entomology, but I kind of designed my own project. I wanted to do more evolutionary biology. So I dug into phylogenetics or the building or reconstructing of these evolutionary histories. Yeah. So what I did is I took that genome data and figured out a way to map it onto an evolutionary tree to see how the amount of DNA changed across uh, genus of flies. And so I, I specifically worked with Drosophila, the model fruit fly, and worked with about 150 different species. And so I was able to measure the amount of DNA they had. And a cool aspect is I did it between males and females as well. Mm -hmm. And so I could measure the difference in their genome that would be due to the difference in sex chromosomes they have. They have a similar type of sex chromosome system to humans where males are xy and females are xx okay and so i could measure the difference in sizes due to females having two x's and males having one x and a y right and so i could then also map how sex chromosomes were changing and so hmm. that's my phd project was really investigating using these evolutionary trees how the amount of dna changed in a specific group of flies wow yeah um there's there's so much here um yeah so let's yeah. let's dive right into the nitty-gritty of what you've been doing recently um mm -hmm. what are you up to right now and um you, you talked a yeah. little bit about it but i want you to really get into it um like what what are some of the things you've been finding with those um phylogenetic trees you've been uh working on yeah just like i was saying earlier about how nothing seems to follow a rule right they're all exceptions um, this question of genome size evolution has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. As soon as we started figuring out how much DNA things have, we we refer to it as this uh, the C-value uh, paradox or C-value enigma. This right. why don't they relate to something like complexity? Mm -hmm. And so there's all these kind of these intense hypotheses for why this happens. You know, is it because having a big genome is bad, and so we try to keep it small because it's less stuff to deal with, or is right. there a benefit to that, or is these other types of effects? Is it some type of adaptation to the environment? Certain types of genes expand or contract. And uh, what I find is it depends over and over again. Um, and so when I look at the model fruit flies that I look at, I find a different pattern than if I look at uh, beetles, than if I, if I look at plants, if I look at uh, butterflies, we see different things. And so there tends to be a bunch of exceptions, which I think is super exciting mm -hmm. because it's just a never ending pool of questions we get to dig into. Yeah. Uh, so um, what I really like about what I do now um, is I'm actually at an institution that is 
primarily undergraduate. So I am in a position where I don't have graduate students that work with me. I have just undergraduate students who are trying to figure out um, what they want to do and mm. their uh, their career path. Right. And they want to learn some of these skills. And so most of the stuff I work with is is more computational. We get on the computers. This allows students who maybe can't get out in the field, uh, maybe don't want to touch bugs. Uh, you know, they get to have access to doing cool science where they can on their own, learn how to learn a new language through coding yeah. and analyze data. And so I, I work with, I think I've run six or seven students right now uh, from all sorts of different backgrounds. Some of them are doing field things. I'm working with a current student that I have. Uh, we're going out and collecting forensically relevant flies. Mm. Only no one's really documented which blowflies are around in Utah. Mm. And so we're going out and just figuring out which flies we have and what kind of data we can work with there. Uh, other students are looking at how climatic variables and environmental variables may or may not be related to the size changes mm. in fly genomes. Yeah. Uh, some of them are looking at how chromosome number changes, chromosomes being the what DNA is compacted into. Uh, and so how do those numbers change across a tree? Other ones are very computer-based and are trying to develop these computational pipelines that allow us to basically say, what species do we have? What genes do we want to look at? And then they just make a whole evolutionary tree through a pipeline. Right. Uh, and so I get to work with all these brilliant students who are just really just wanting to get into science. And so I just have this kind of crazy number of small projects happening with students, um, which I think is really fun because, um, again, that curiosity is, in, is infectious. And, uh, yeah, so I, most of my stuff tends to kind of revolve around this, um, question of genome evolution. Yeah. Uh, and, but I'm, I tell my students, as long as you're interested in it, let's find a way to do it. Uh, and it, I tell them it tends to, it's probably going to involve bugs because it's your thing. they're easy to use yep. and there's so many cool examples and there's no yeah. shortage of them. And no one cares for the most part if you kill them in the process of your study, right? Yeah. Most people actively encourage it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, there's so many cool, fun projects that are happening. That's so awesome. Yeah. So, um, at Utah, at Utah Valley university, mm -hmm. uh, um, how long have you been there? And, uh, yeah. So you're working mostly with undergraduate students, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in my, I just started my third year. So I'm just, finishing up uh my first semester of my third year here yeah. um actually classes just ended last friday yeah so i'm in the midst of just doing a bunch of grading, grading and yeah. getting fielding emails about um exam questions and uh studying and grades and things oh, yeah. uh, so i haven't been there too long i'm in the 10-year process uh so i'm like uh just did my mid-10-year review uh, but yeah it's it's all undergraduates i mean i think the largest or one of the largest departments uh at our, at our university mm. um and it's been great it's an awesome institution it's one of the most affordable if not the most affordable schools in utah it's a it's an open enrollment or open acceptance university where yeah. uh, if you apply you get in mm -hmm. we're removing that barrier for for students it's also a dual mission university so it has a technical school and a trade school so we have people who are doing like auto mechanics and body work That's awesome. at the same time people are taking you know, getting degrees in biology and bioinformatics. And now we've got a new zoology program starting nice. uh, this next year. And so uh, we really kind of open it up. So we have a lot of kind of what would be considered non-traditional students 
Uh, so students that are working full-time jobs that are married with kids and taking care of their families. Wow. Uh, and so the, the age of our students tend to be a little bit older than the traditional uh, age that you'd expect for college students, rather than being like 18 to 22, uh, they're closer to like 25. Wow. Yeah. And so That's it's awesome. a, it's a, it's a really unique uh, school and situation and the school gives a lot of support for the students, which I really love. There's so much funding uh, that they provide for students to apply for, for research projects and wow. presenting in my, like basically two and a half years here, I've been able to take students to three separate entomology conferences. Mm-hmm. We were, I was just brought a student to, uh, Maryland where I ran into you. Yep. Uh, and I brought a couple of students and a bunch of one of my colleague students to Vancouver last year to the That's entomology awesome. meeting. Yeah. And uh, I brought a few students to Seattle to our Pacific branch meeting this past uh, spring as well. And this is the students apply for some funds and the university provides it for them. And so the students are getting to go to these conferences, uh, not having to pay out of pocket. They get to present their own independent research projects fully supported by the university. And uh, it's not very often that you find that much support. Yeah. Um, at a school specifically for undergraduates. I was going to uh, say. Just because money, money tends to be tight. And yeah. uh they're finding it somehow and it's great. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, what a, what an awesome, um, you know, what a, what a great opportunity for undergrads. Cause often, you know, undergrads don't usually get to do research. So that's, no. that's really yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, my experience, undergraduates are washing dishes and labs in most cases, yeah. you know, across the university yeah. and mine are doing all the work. That's I mean, they're really getting awesome. into it and it's, it's so cool and so rewarding uh, to see these students succeed. It's really incredible. That's so awesome. Um, yeah. So, uh, you're teaching biology, but you mm-hmm. definitely sneak lots of entomology in. That's, oh, that's so much. That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like what, what level of biology are you teaching? Um, is this like a 200 or 300 level course or are these like the more, uh, you know, towards the end of their degree? Uh, I teach all of it, honestly. Um, It's a pretty heavy teaching load. Mm -hmm. uh, And I'm lucky that I can sneak bugs in as good examples. And I actually, actually, this next fall, um, I get to teach the entomology course we have, which is really exciting. Um, But I was was hired to teach in the the new bioinformatics degree program that we have. Okay. Uh, One of the few schools that actually have a bioinformatics program, which again is the use of computers to analyze complex biological data. So mm-hmm. a lot of it tends to be genomes and things, but mm-hmm. so I teach an introductory, like 100 level course or 1000 level course. That's introduction to bioinformatics. And so it's a non-majors gen ed course. I have computer science majors. I have photography majors, aviation majors. Um, they're taking it for their life science credit. They get to yep. learn a crash course in biology, a bit about genome sequencing and how to do some coding. They that's learn nice. how to, uh, to make their own plots and analyze data and have fun projects like um, their final project is a Lord of the Rings based project that I'm really, made. yeah. So JRR uh, contacts them with data about the Oliphant, and so they have to analyze this data about you know this giant pachyderm. Uh, but otherwise, I teach genetics, which is a three thousand level course, a three hundred level course. I teach genomics and evolution, which are both four thousand level courses. And then entomology is a zoology course that's that two to three thousand level range, and so I've anywhere in the range uh, I'm teaching courses, which is 
just kind of fun because you, yeah. you tend to see some of those the same students that come through. They take your intro class, they really like it, and so then you start they start taking other of your courses. Nice. And so it's cool that I get to see these students kind of as they track through their degree yeah. and how they've improved in their coursework. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah sounds like a lot of fun. Um yeah, so uh let's let's go to you a little bit. Um yeah. how did you originally get into entomology? Was it that um was it before your undergrad or was it some sometime during or uh when yeah. did you originally get into that? That's a really good question. It's uh it's been something I think about a lot because mm -hmm. I I feel like I didn't really wasn't really into entomology for long, but I wasn't aware it was an area that you could go into. I mean, mm. I was a kid, I have three brothers and we played around in the dirt outside. Right. Yeah. We did things that were definitely probably torturous to insects, not, yeah. not intentionally torturous. Uh, we thought daddy long legs, for example, would love to swim in a pool. Mm -hmm. So we put them in buckets of water and then yep. wondered why they died. <laughs> yep. uh, we built Lego houses for crickets Mm -hmm. um surprisingly the crickets didn't really like being stuck and confined in a lego house um, but we tried to give them a cool house with multiple levels and all this stuff mm -hmm. uh and so i just kind of um kind of fell away for a while i mean i didn't really think about it and uh you know there's all these pressures as you go through schooling and you do well in biology people are like oh you're gonna go into medicine right because that's what you do with biology right and my family's ac academic background is uh is I'm, I'm not a first generation student my dad went to college he's a computer programmer uh but other than that it's just you know farmers truckers handymen things like that so i college was a whole new ball game to me and like going into biology because i wanted to i'm like okay it has to be medicine and then after within my first year i'm like no nah, it's gonna be and i'm gonna i'm gonna dig into this research thing and it just turns out insects are a great model i mean i had a little bit of a a teaser to that with some of the the labs we had in my undergraduate but the big push was that reu that i got uh and so i'm entomology by way of grad school yeah and so it's uh it's interesting because you know i meet all these people in grad school who did the whole 4-h ffa they've been all in on bugs since they were like five years old right and for me i'm, I'm learning about it as a you know i was in my 20s is when I really got into the nitty gritty of it and coming it from a, from a genetics and evolution background. Uh, it, it's an interesting thing because I, I use them as models primarily. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think they're just fantastic and super cool. And I love getting out there and collecting bugs or being in the lab, working with them. Uh, but it's one of the hardest questions people ask me all the time is what's your favorite insect? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. I yeah. come at like, they all came at me all at once. And there's too many cool things that they do. Yeah. Uh, so entomology was, just, I guess, I didn't know it was a thing. And yeah. I think I try to tell my students about it all the time. It's There are careers out there. I mean, I learned that entomologists are biologists with jobs, right? There's yeah. so many career paths that we need. Absolutely. Whether it's medical related, agricultural related, yep. uh, veterinary, like there's, there are always going to be, always going to be jobs for entomologists. We can't, yes. we can't deny that. Yeah. And so it's cool to be able to kind of foster that that type of excitement or introduce that to people. Uh, my entomology program, PhD program, has a really big undergraduate entomology program. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's considered to be what they call a discovery major. Mm -hmm. They have very few people who come into school going, I'm going to be an entomology major. 
they graduate more, way more entomology majors than ever come in as an entomology major because mm. people discover it partway wow. through. They didn't realize you can get a whole degree in bugs. Yeah. And uh, it's such a it's such a cool thing, um, that kind of discovery. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's kind of what we're all about here is introducing people to entomology before they get um, into school. Yeah. So that, that's, yeah. that's even an option, right? Um, 100%. Yeah, for sure. Um, so cool. So um, let's go on to uh, who kind of inspired you or like who do you look up to either within the world of science or otherwise? Um, like who's your kind of inspiration? Yeah, that's a great question. There are so many cool people out there um, that it's easy to get you know wrapped up in. And you know, I find as I get further in my career, the more I dig into the history of things, I get really excited about uh, you know, different people. Like I just, I gave a talk to my university about Alfred Russell Wallace yeah. recently, for example, yep. really cool guy, um, kind of broke barriers in terms of he was a working class person. He funded his way to do research and just for the sake of digging into these questions of evolution. Um, but on a, on a more personal level, I would have to say that my, one of my biggest inspirations and people that I go to the most is my PhD advisor, Spencer Johnston. He's okay. a, brilliant man. He, uh, he just retired, um, I guess a, a year ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he's the one, the geneticist, the population geneticist, and he's, he retired, uh, he's now 79 is how old he is. So he retired late seventies. Wow. Uh, and he never stopped being active in science. Yeah. He's publishing constantly collaborating constantly. When I go to meetings, people are asking me how he's doing and like, they're going to email him about more work nice. uh, because in, he's an endlessly curious person. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the, the super inspiring thing is that um, always curious. He was never asking questions to try to put anybody down. Mm. Uh, just, he's just a brilliant person. who's just mm -hmm. curious. Uh, and he gave me a lot of support, uh, you know, as I was trying to discover who I was as a person and a scientist in my twenties. Um, and so he's, one of my biggest inspirations. Uh, we actually had an award one year um, that in our entomology program that was essentially, um, he's the person that we want to be when we grow up. Yeah. Right. And uh, so I, I think he's just fantastic. Um, I had a really great um, couple of postdoc advisors that have been really great too. Um, my second postdoc advisor, Heath Blackman, he's in the biology department at Texas A&M. He's very into beetles so much mm. that his email address is colioguy nice. at gmail.com. And he uh, really opened my mind to a lot of the way I kind of pursue my mentoring mm -hmm. of people as well. And so his first question of his students and of me was, where do you want to be and how can I help you get there? Yeah, um, because we both view ourselves successful if we can help others get to where they want to be. Right. Uh, and so I think that those are probably my two biggest kind of inspirations for people uh, that I've worked with uh, for sure, just because they both had interesting paths to get where they're at. Um, and the stories are always incredible. Uh, my PhD advisor did his PhD in Arizona, just taking his Volkswagen camper van through the deserts of Arizona and Mexico Yep. collecting cactophilic fruit flies. Nice. So things are just feeding on dead cactus and yeah. wild stories about being on Caribbean NSF cruise ships or spending decades in Hawaii, like hiking up mountains to collect crazy flies. Wow. Uh, and it's just those, that career 
that just just is endlessly exciting. I mean, it's it's never the same each day. And I think that's one of the most appealing things about digging into this area is it's not on repeat. There's always something new. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I say this all the time, but uh, you could learn about a new insect every single day and you would never get bored. Like it's just yeah. endless. Um, You'd never run out of insects either. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Carl, what are uh, some other of like activities and like hobbies that you enjoy in your spare time, whether it's related or not to yeah. um, entomology or biology? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, you can kind of see a little bit in the background. I don't know how much it depends on how big the video is. Yeah. I've got some guitars over here. Nice. Uh, so I'm actually, uh, I guess, what would be considered a classically trained uh, musician. So okay. I um, had a scholarship in my undergraduate where I uh, played bass, like upright bass, the really big instrument in the orchestra. So wow. throughout my undergraduate, I uh, took private lessons on bass and I played in a number of different symphonies. And in grad school, my PhD advisor um, said that I had to play in the university orchestra mm -hmm. uh, because I, I couldn't give up on doing all this extra music stuff I did. So yep. I was the only graduate student in Texas A&M's college orchestra. Uh, and so I would do that on top of teaching and doing my research and taking classes. And so I through the through that, I have been teaching myself guitar. So I've got about six guitars or so over here, just kind of different wow. tunings and styles um, so music is a really big thing for me, uh, whether that's playing or going to concerts or listening to music, all genres. Um, I mean, the the switch ups that I have in my playlists are the whiplash would be the best way to describe it. Yeah. I mean, it goes from like thrash metal to folk music to a Beethoven symphony to oh, musicals. Yeah. Um, so that's a big one. Um, I I love that I live in Utah now, too. I am very into the outdoors. Um, I mean, collecting insects is a great thing to do, but yeah. I grew up in a very, very flat, cold place in right. eastern South Dakota. It's all mm -hmm. corn and beans, as far as you can see. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to College Station, Texas, which is flat opposite. and incredibly hot. Incredibly hot. Yep. And now I'm in Utah, where it's not as hot as Texas, not as cold as South Dakota. I get four seasons, and I'm 10 minutes away from being in the mountains. Yeah, not flat. Like, yep. And so I do a ton of hiking and camping. Uh, my dog, he's sleeping right behind me right yeah. now. Um, he goes on a, he goes on a lot of adventures with me. So we, even if it's just a couple hours on the weekend, I've got a couple hour window. There's trails I can go up and hike to an overlook over the city. Um, so I try to get out there, do that type of activity, you know, hiking, maybe do some camping, Nice, uh, which has been a blast. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you know, just try to find other things, trying to get back into reading after graduate school. You can get kind of burnt out. Yeah. reading all those papers and stuff, trying to fun. read for fun. Yep. Uh, that's been really good. So it's been a goal. Um, I've got a list of books on my whiteboard that I'm keeping track of with all the books that I've read in the last year or so, nice. um, uh, just to try to keep it, uh, keep it fun and exciting. So find some way to fill my time. Um, if I'm not grading or teaching or, or researching with students, yeah, do something outside of, uh, what I would normally do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So, uh, looking forward to the future, uh, you just got mm -hmm. started at uh, Utah Valley, but um, what are some other like goals and plans that you have uh, ahead of you? Like any trips or research that you want to do? Uh, yeah. Forward, like like what are your big plans? Yeah, um, my big plans are to keep 
just keep working on this stuff. So I have a, so since my PhD advisor retired, I've kind of taken the, the helm of like doing these genome size estimations, which is super exciting. Yeah. Um, so that means I get to open up all these cool scientists I get to work with. Um, so they'll be sending me data and I get to work on all sorts of cool projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one thing I'm excited about is who knows where that'll take me. Yeah. Uh, but I've got some collaborations with some friends at like, uh, Arizona state, for example, we've got all sorts of collecting that we're planning where we're going to go through all around the state of Utah and some of Arizona mm-hmm. and collect all these, these blow flies. So I get to do some field work because I find myself kind of cooped up in a lab or on the computer. Nice. Yeah. Um, I got some cool projects with my postdoc advisor where we're going to be collecting things like beetles uh, in Arizona. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll take whatever I can get for trips. I'd love to plan. Um, so in the back of my mind is to plan a, a study abroad trip Yeah. to focus on things like evolution and probably doing insect stuff. I mean, that's kind of the big one. Um, it, at Texas A&M, they have this cool yearly thing where the entomology students go to Dominica and they they collect insects and they develop their own little research projects and they discover new species. Mm. Uh, and it's it's just fun. I'd love to have more of that going on. And so I'm working yeah. with uh, some of my colleagues in the department. We have a really big department. So I didn't mention, but Utah Valley University is the largest public university in Utah. Mm. We have more than 40,000 students at the university. Wow. And so uh, we have a really big department. And so I, we have never specifically hired an entomologist, but mm. we've ended up with entomologists, yeah. which is really fun. So my uh, department chair, he studies mayflies. And so we have a lot of different projects. I'm taking over entomology from him. Um, and then we have people who study plant insect interactions, mm. people who study plant viruses that are vectored by insects. Mm. And then like other colleagues that are doing behavior and using ants as models. Mm-hmm. And so trying to find a way that we can kind of all work together on maybe doing some type of big field expedition is, yeah. is kind of a really big goal of mine as well. Um, yeah, just keep doing science for the sake of science. That's, that's my goal. Never stop yeah. learning. Great goal. Yeah. Um, super exciting stuff um yeah well uh right before we wrap it up here uh mm-hmm. where can where can we go to learn more about like what you've been working on uh yeah maybe uh the school website or if you have any social media just uh where could we where could we go to learn more yeah so i mean you could certainly look up my name it's a unique name uh gelman h-j-e-l-m-e-n mm-hmm. uh, if you look up carl gelman uh, i think there's basically three people with that name that ever come up there's myself uh my dead great great uncle who i was named after okay and some random dude in norway who took the twitter handle i wanted oh uh and so if you look at my name the first i don't know how many pages of google comes up with results about me okay Uh, but i do have a i do have a website um it's housed through github so it's cejelman.github.io uh, so that's a website that I uh, coded. It's got information about the courses I teach, the research. It has PDFs of all the publications that I have, nice. my kind of overarching goals for research, ways to contact me, both in terms of my school email and my professional Gmail address. Got my calendar. Everything is embedded there. Um, I'm on, I guess it's called X yep. now. Yep. Um, I've got that. I think it's cegelman 9 is my handle there. It's the same handle I have on blue sky, which is a, another one. And then I do have Instagram. It's linked in my, uh, um, 
on my website as well. That tends yeah. to be a lot of just hiking and dog photos and, you know, throwing those fun bug and plant photos and stuff too, as they come along. But um, that I think is just Carl Gelman is the handle for that. Um, so all sorts of things. I make it available for people to see because you might as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So plenty of options. Sweet. Yeah. And I will uh, leave the links to all of those in the uh, show notes for you guys. Uh, the the uh, description of this episode. But uh, well, Carl, thank you so much for being on the show. This was super fun. Um, you are working on some really awesome stuff, obviously. Um, just killing it. Um, super nice to get to know you. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. So, uh, this was really fun. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Uh, this is awesome. I really like that you're doing this. I mean, this type of outreach is one of the most important things. I mean, like we said, we got to get people excited about it. And this is such an awesome, cool thing. I was very excited to learn about it when I was at ESA this year. So thank yeah. you for having me. Oh, of course. Yeah, super fun. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, 